open it up for some questions. So, Miguel? Okay, uh, Miguel Lloyd. Um, relatively new to, uh, to Atlanta, been about three years. Uh, originally from uh, Hampton, Virginia. Anybody know where Hampton, Virginia is? Hampton okay. University. Yeah. All right. Uh, very proud Hidden Figures uh, was based in my hometown, and actually, the Janelle Monet character, she went to my church. I had no idea. I saw her as an older, and I said, she was one of the elders in my church. Um, so uh, Lloyd Media Group is my company. I started off in the Virginia area in radio sales um, and moved on, to, spent six years there with the old Clear Channel, now iHeartMedia. Uh, moved on to uh, television in the D.C. area, moved down to Jacksonville, Florida, and Ad Agency World. And, and then I started my own uh, company um, about six years ago. So uh, we do digital marketing, media, and communications for our clients. Uh, I'm also the marketing PR chair for the Atlanta Black Chambers. Uh, just love working with clients and looking forward to the engaging conversation. My name is Rob Foreman, and I'm the uh, co-founder and I head up technology at SalesLoft. My background, I guess I've been in Atlanta about six years. I grew up in uh, the Maryland area. I have, fun facts, I guess, five kids from ages 10 to four. And I've been doing technology. I, I sort of tripped into it as a kid. I started programming when I was, when I was young. And um, SalesLoft is the easiest way to convert target accounts into customer accounts. We help inside sales teams increase the quantity and quality of time with their, with their prospects and their customers post-conversion. And, um, and SalesLoft is... Well, I was an early tenant at Atlanta, Atlanta Tech Village. David Cummings is one of our investors, and we've since moved out in our next door and um, have really enjoyed the benefit of being in the uh, Atlanta technology community and, and really um, value our, our spot and, and, and giving back and helping others. Great. Uh, Brooks Robinson. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Springbot. Uh, Brent, thanks for moderating today. And a uh, big thanks to Salesforce. Uh, I've been either my current company, Springbot, or my previous company, CBion, I've been a customer of, of Salesforce for over 10 years. Um, been a great partnership, whether it was Salesforce core business or Pardot, actually. We were one of the original cu customers of Pardot way back, I don't know, like almost 10 years ago. So um, um, as I said, uh, Springbot's kind of my, my latest uh, startup, and my kind of journey started back. Uh, Rob and I were talking at lunch. I, I was an engineer back in Canada, I kind of went to the MIT of Canada called Waterloo. Uh, I now call it the Georgia Tech of Canada now that I've been in Atlanta for a while. Um, so I was an engineer, wasn't a very good engineer, figured out fairly quickly, um, got into more sales and marketing, venture capital in the late 90s, and then moved to Atlanta in 99, 2000 to start a company called CBeyond, which was a telecom and IT services business that we had a fun ride. I actually, I saw a CBeyond alumni in the back there. So, uh, it was a great run. We built that business from about five of, or ten of us up to about 2,000 people and about 500 million in revenue. I took it public in 05. So that was a, a great journey. And then I realized, you know, I, I was, it was great being a public markets uh, CMO, but I really had that itch to be an entrepreneur again. So I went down to Georgia Tech, hung out at the ATDC, uh, was introduced to my co-founder, CTO, and uh, I guess that was uh, mid-2012 and started Springbot. And... What Springbot does is really, we make simple, really complex marketing for e-commerce retailers. So if you're an e-commerce retailer, you're trying to compete against Amazon, and they've got all the cool toys. They've got the data scientists, they have the marketing automation, the marketing analytics. They know everything about everyone in this room. And so if you're a small retailer selling, whether it's skateboards or fashion and apparel, how do you compete? 
And we think the way you compete is using Springbot. And we've really built this great technology called an e-commerce marketing platform and just have been growing. We're up to about 75 folks now, raised a, a Series B round late last year and just having a lot of fun working with uh, over about 1,300 retailers now on the platform. So just kind of cruising along, having fun in the Atlanta market. So let's stay with you. Uh, you is this your third time around, you said? Yeah, third, yeah, third time, time around. around. Yeah. So how... Gray has, hairs are coming in pretty well, good. Well, at least you got the hair, so... Yeah. Um, Fair so, enough. <laughs> so uh, you, that Springbot has been around for a couple of years. Yeah. How was starting uh, Springbot in the last couple of years compared to starting some of the other businesses previously? Yeah, so I mean, Springbot, we started in 2012. So actually, we're, it's amazing. We're actually coming up on our official five-year anniversary in the middle of, of this year. Um, big difference is you need less capital to start a business today than you did back when we started CBON. And like, CBON, our Series A round, we raised $140 million, right? 10 people, PowerPoint slides, not much more than that. Two weeks later, the dot-com bust happened. So I learned a lot about working through adversity, changing business plans, that kind of stuff. Um, today, there's so many great technologies, you know, whether it's Salesforce or, or other tools that you can you know, leverage the cloud, as everyone wants to talk about. You don't need to make big investments in data centers and hardware. There's just, it's so much easier to get a business started. Uh, which actually on the other side, because it's so easy, there's a lot of competition, right? Uh, up where, you know, Rob's company was up at Tech Village, um, what, there's like 200 startups up there, yeah. right? You go back when we started CBON, there were startups really, there was a startup community, but nowhere near what it is today. And that means competition for talent, for resources, for capital. And so it's tougher in that aspect, but easier on others. So. Yeah, Rob, uh, sales loft competes in a pretty competitive environment. You have companies like Inside Sales, a number of them are out there. Um, so from your perspective, how is uh, competition today for a startup? Not just the 200 that are in Atlantic Tech Village, but if you're in a competitive market, uh, how is it today competing in that kind of environment? The thing I tell people is that it's, you should be worried when you don't have competition. Especially the early stage if you're trying to start something. Um, uh, so many times, it, I know it was my perspective before I really got into it, is that you're afraid somebody else is doing what you're doing or they're going to, you know, Google is going to do it or some, some like Big Bad Wolf is going to do it. And, and what you don't realize at the time is that they, in order to move the needle on these really large businesses, they have to do other things. They're not going after the customer that you're probably going after. And so, number one, competition is fantastic. Uh, number two, competition makes you better, and it, and it creates it can create a, a category or a definition. Sometimes the hardest thing is explaining what your new idea is, um, something that didn't exist, usually didn't exist for a reason. And the early people you explain it to, if they think you're a little bit off, that, that can usually be a, a good sign. It's kind of it can be good and bad, but as you get in, if there's a competition then it's, it's showing that, hey, there is something here. There's real pain, uh, which means that there can be real dollars to solve the pain, and it means you can build a business in that space. And what is then left within your control is how you build that business, how the, the, your strategy around your people, and then your response to the, to the market pressures. And so the way we compete is that we focus a lot of our time on our, on our people strategy, so that's how we have kind of core values and 
Um, and people at the center of everything we do, we talk about it before every staff meeting, before every weekly all hands. Um, we, we drive that home. That is one of the few things as an entrepreneur I can control is what do we value as a business and who do we bring into the business? And then who do we remove from the business if they, if they don't fit? Um, and then the second part is how do we adapt? So creating an environment that, that embraces adaptability. If, when something changes, it creates anxiety where we have to decide, is this a good change or a bad change? And that anxiety is, a, is, is just a fact. It always happens. And so we try to cultivate this idea of, hey, when things happen, we will respond. And that actually, that speed of response is what helps a small company like Salesloft compete against you know, other you know, much larger, more well-funded companies. Miguel, you have a, a little bit of a different challenge. You're a service-based company. Tell us about the challenges that a service-based, because there's a lot of competition, especially in marketing. Uh, tell us about the challenges you face today and how being in Atlanta is uh, good, bad, ugly. How does it help? Uh, great point. Um, Atlanta, for, for my career, was probably the best move I made. Uh, this is an entrepreneurial, rich community. People are really out here trying to get it done, whether or not they have a nine-to-five and they've got uh, a side hustle that they're growing and they're developing. Um, there's a lot of opportunity within the government sector. You know, one thing people that I've learned is that Atlanta, the city of Atlanta is just one municipality when you got Fulton County and you got all these other counties that all need work to be done. So there's a lot of opportunity, but you're exactly right. I'm in the service business. And sometimes my biggest competition are the business owners themselves because all these tools that are here, whether it be Salesforce or, uh, which all these tools are great, um, but I like always use the analogy that I could go and buy me some wall clippers and try to cut my own hair, but it's going to look pretty bad. And, and so I, I believe in going and hiring a barber to do the work for me. Um, a lot of folks in the business, whether it's building websites, building social media campaigns, building logos, whatever, whatever work that, that they may need, there are a lot of tools to get that stuff done. But if you don't have the creative eye or the ability to write content that's going to be engaging to your potential customer, you're buying those clippers on your own and you're cutting your own hair. In a lot of cases, you know, <laughs> you, you, it, it looks, you, people can tell. Yeah. And so... Um, <laughs> I should stop. <laughs> I should stop. So, 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 uh, so, yes, being in the service business, not having a commodity that people are selling. I don't have widgets that I'm selling. People, people love to sometimes get your time. And, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I have, I'm, a, I'm a servant leader. That's, that's just my nature. So sometimes there are calls and meetings that I probably shouldn't take. And this is going all the way back to my media career where a client will call me and they want to do radio advertising and they want all the information. And then they say, well, I'll give you a call back. And next thing you know, they either don't do it or they, or they do it with somebody else. But it was my plan that they used. And so sometimes um, when you don't have that commodity all the time to exchange at, the, at that moment, um, you have to learn how to scale it back and say, okay, this is where you stop. And this is, why they get it. This is where they get a consultant's uh, invoice uh, or, and, and to make sure that, that you're not giving away your talent. And so... Uh, that, that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that, that I've always had in my career. You know, I'm doing fine, but there's a lot of opportunities to probably leave on the table just because you want to be a servant and some people don't receive that well. Some people will, will take and won't and, and just run with it. Okay, first, Rob, put the flow be away. You don't have to use it anymore, okay? 
Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, I, wasn't that, I wasn't that harsh, though. Yeah. Oh, I need a haircut. Feel the love, man. Feel yeah, exactly. The love. Uh, so we're in Atlanta. Uh, there's a lot of tech startup activity. You guys are a part of it. Um, compare and contrast Atlanta's tech scene and Atlanta's reputation for tech startups versus, you know, the, the big guy, the Silicon Valley. What, are, are, is Atlanta getting the kind of respect? Uh, already saying you shake your head, so go ahead and take it. I don't think we're getting the respect, but I think we've come a long way. Um, you know, when I did the venture capital thing, it was up in Boston, Kendall Square, and just the energy up there, being on MIT campus, that's where the dollars were, that's where a lot of the VCs were. That was 99, not 97, 98, right? You, you flash forward today, there's just, what's great about Atlanta is that there are so many different enablers here. You've got the ATDC, you've got Tech Village, you've got what uh, Paul and Alan are doing down at uh, Tech Square Labs. Um, you've gotten into not just, just within technology, you also have like the entrepreneurs organization. How many members of EO are in the audience, right? I know that I saw a bunch of them here. If you don't know EO, go check out EO Network. It's a, I've been a member for 10 years. It's basically a, a peer network of entrepreneurs globally. There's 15,000 of us. It's, it actually has transformed how I think of myself as an entrepreneur. Those are the kind of things that I think um, places like Atlanta really embrace and have come a long way in the past 10 years. A quick story was after CBON, when I was thinking about doing this, this startup, um, my wife and I, we lived down in, in Ansley and we were going to move. We basically put the for sale sign. We were moving to San Francisco because I felt at that time that's the only place you can do a technology startup. And someone thankfully said to me, go down to Georgia Tech and check it out. And I was blown away. I mean, I lived here at that point in time for 12 years, didn't really know what was going on and just had this epiphany. It's like, why can't we build this company here? Um, there's talent here, there's Fortune 500 companies, and uh, we, we did it. And I think um, it's been great because our cost of infrastructure is lower. Our, you know, we definitely compete for employees uh, against all the other technology companies here. But I think companies, uh, employees are more loyal here than you find. They're, they value culture more. Uh, as Rob was saying, we invest a lot in culture in our office. Um, and, and so I think that um, while... We're now, I, it's going to be tough to be able to say, hey, there's Boston, there's San Francisco, New York's, I think, right there. We're always going to be that next tier. And I, don't, I think embrace that, but understand we're different, and we actually have a lot of things that are better. And, and that's fine. I think you know, my next one's going to start here. Right? And I think, cause I think there's so many great opportunities here that there wasn't 10 years ago. Well, I think the way you asked the question of are we getting the respect, um, I guess that... Why are we asking that question? I would, I would say is like, if we respect ourselves and we're focused on how we're getting better and how as a, as a community we are giving back, that we are being organized, that we are um, competing but not, not being, you know, not taking it down, not, not kind of dragging each other down, then I think the rest will follow. And comparison is, is rarely a good road to go down, kind of on any front, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it never ends how you think, and if you feel better, it's because someone's pushed down, or if you feel worse, it's... So um, there, there are definitely differences in the, in the personality of the, of the environments. There is a lot more noise in the valley. It reminds me of Warren Buffett. Why, why, is he, why isn't he in New York? Super wealthy guy, not in the financial capital of the world, and he said it was too noisy. Um, and so he has room to think. And so uh, I started a company in Atlanta because I live in Atlanta, and, and there's room to think. And I think it's nice that, or uh, not nice, it's interesting that the cost of living has created some of these 
really strange. We, so we have an office here, but we just opened an office in San Francisco. And the cost is staggering. I mean, it's different. Um, and so it, it, it has given people a reason to pause and to ask different questions. Is there a different way to solve this problem or crack this nut? Um, which is cool. I think it, it flattens the world, world a little bit. Um, but I don't, I don't typically go far down the comparison. Yeah, I think one of the things we have to be careful of is not being victims, right? I think I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when I was, I was an entrepreneur in residence for a little while at Georgia Tech, and I would hear from folks, oh, you can't raise money in Atlanta. You can't right. raise, raise money, you know, I, I can't, there's just not money. There's a lot of really wealthy people in this town. Lot, most of them made money in real estate, and it's a staggering amount of money. Um, so you can raise money here, and then Paul Judge has just a tremendous way of combating that, which money travels. And we're seeing that more and more. I mean, you guys raise money That's from right. out of town. Yeah. We just raise money from out of town. It will come here. What's great about Atlanta is the, one of the challenges we have is most VCs that you think of New York or San Francisco or Boston haven't set up shop here because it's so easy to get here. We're a two-hour flight, maybe three or four-hour flight from the West Coast. They can get here, and they come here a lot. I mean, right now, if we throw a rock, I'm sure there's a VC somewhere in Bucket right now trying to put money into some business. And, from out of town. And I think that's a really good thing. And we as entrepreneurs here shouldn't use that as a crutch. And we, we need to go out and visit these companies. We are VCs. We need to go to the Valley. We need to understand that it's not that much different in terms of being an entrepreneur and, and the money will travel here and has traveled here. Miguel, um, part of being an entrepreneur, one of the main goals is getting customers and, and making revenue. Um, how are you seeing the challenge today there's some pretty sophisticated customers out there. Like you said, they, some of them are trying to do things themselves. But how is it today getting customers? You know, breaking it down from a marketing perspective, from a, a company that's maybe just getting started, how do they get a reputation, build an opportunity connect, and bring home those customers today? Uh, one thing that was on the panel before is they talked about starting in your own community. Um, Moved here to Atlanta, and I realized Atlanta is just a big place with a bunch of little communities, right? There's a bunch of small towns, right? A uh, bunch of smaller counties. Atlanta is just one part of the city, but you can go from top to bottom, from Fort Oglethorpe all the way down to Locust Grove, and you can travel two hours. So there's a lot of opportunity in this town. Um, so focus, where, where, you know, where you can, you know, don't have to, you know, if you live in outlying counties, why do you have to come into the city to find business? You know, if you have a service or a product that can be served in your community, start there. For me, um, you know, that's, that's where I've had some success. Of course, from the standpoint of, because I personally, we live in McDonough. We live almost down to Locust Grove, right? And, but I have to come into this town, at least I feel that way. I'm a part of Atlanta Black Chamber, the marketing PR chair for that organization. One, because I love to serve, but also because I do want to get to know the energy and the people in the town. But we may be driving by, if you live in outlying counties, you may be driving by your client every day, your best customer every day. So I, I think that's one area. Um, one thing I wanted to piggyback with the gentleman talking about, about tech, these guys aren't just in the tech business. Everybody in this room are in the tech and the content creation business now. Um, when we start talking about the ability to start a business with, with, with less capital, it is because, you know, if you are in a retail, you know, I don't, I don't know how many retail clients I've talked to or, or counseled, and they've got a business and they're selling dresses or they're selling shoes or they're selling bikes, and they want to know, how can I get people to come into this business? Why can I get people to come into this business? Well, that's one aspect of it, but why aren't you looking at your retail location as a mini warehouse? 
that you can ship your stuff because you have a great e-commerce platform, right? Um, and, and, and because I tell clients all the time, I tell people, you know, they, they, they've got businesses and they got stuff sitting on the shelves and they want to know people, hey, people are going to, the, to their phones and their tablets first now a lot of times to shop. So if you have a website or you have an internet presence that hasn't been, first of all, and these guys can, can just, if you haven't touched your website in, in the last 18 months, really more like 12 months, it looks like it's five years old because the technology is moving so fast. If you haven't touched it in the last 12 months and it's not mobile friendly, you're losing business, right? And so you need to talk to somebody like me or, or a web development guy or, or, or e-commerce folks because there's a lot of opportunity that you can grow your customer base without leaving your office, leaving your store, and for people who have home-based businesses without leaving your house in your pajamas. Um, and, and it's real. This stuff is not no longer, this isn't hyperbole. It is people who are sitting back and they're rolling out of bed when they want to and their businesses are running by themselves and they're just placing orders because they're smart in the way that their the analytics is smart, the way their marketing is smart. Um, you know, the Facebook, it, all this social media, the digital marketing is not nearly as expensive as it used to be when uh, people will come into the radio station. This is, you know, I was selling radio back in 97, 98. And in market number 36, 37, and we were charging four or $500 for a 30-second spot because pretty much everybody in our demographic was listening to that one radio station. And we only had 14 units an hour to sell. The agencies bought up 60% of that. The big local guys bought up another 20% of that, and every other guy who came in, there was 20% left, and they had to pay the freight. And so it's not like that anymore. You know, that's a great medium, and, and they still have value, but it's not like it was. And so the question was, how do you build your customers? The, the challenges to building customers will always be there. It is tougher now because the customers have access to a lot of the same data that we have, but there's a reason. You know, if I've been doing this for 20 years, I think you may want to take my counsel instead of you trying to run your business all the time and all of a sudden, oh, I'm just going to do this marketing thing. The first thing, and I'll leave with this, the first thing I ask business owners, when I ask them how do they formulate their budget, their marketing budget, nine out of ten of them say, I don't have one. And that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make is a bit, because marketing is not an option. And marketing, now marketing exposure is not always having to go by radio, air to local radio station. It could be you've got pins in your office that people can take with them and that branding is with them all, all the time. Or, or it's t-shirts, or if it's, you know, you are a restaurant and you are right here in Buckhead, okay, you're not gonna have to spend as much in advertising because people are gonna drive by and see you every day. But you're in the restaurant business and you're in an industrial park somewhere, you better tell people you're there, you're gonna be out of business in two years. So, um, so it's, it's just being smart and being strategic you know, using the tools that are out there and, and finding customers that'll listen to what you have to say. And the ones who don't, God bless them. Hopefully they'll, they'll do well. A lot of them are still doing well, but a lot of them are not. Well, I got a couple other questions to, to ask and then start formulating your questions because we're going to get it out to you guys. So I'm going to open this up to whoever, wanna take, whoever wants to take it. Um, I was talking to a CEO and founder of a, a software company and he said something really interesting. He said, his approach to business was trying to find gaps in the market and then trying to identify if there was a market in the gap. So how do you do that today? Is it more difficult today to do something like that? Or with all the modern technology, is it a little simpler? So it's kind of a two-part question. 
how do you find the, the, the right market in the gap and to try to figure if there's a, something that you can make money out of? I don't know if it's the gap, but let me, I, so one of the things I've always done in my career is I've looked at what are large enterprises doing? Then how do I make that simple and affordable for small business, right? If, if it's, so the large enterprise tends to lead on innovation, right? Uh, and now we're seeing even more so on consumer as well, but especially with like Facebook and from a UI perspective and consumer tech is really interesting and how that's actually changing uh, business tech. But for me, I, so I think what ends up happening is I, we identify a gap where, hey, small businesses are being left behind, right? You were talking about, you know, not knowing what your, you know, there's that classic saying, I, I know half my marketing's working, I just don't know which half, right? So to me, we started this business because large enterprises have something called marketing attribution or revenue attribution where every time they do a marketing campaign, they tag it, they, they track you as you come to their website. They know that you bought something. They can say, okay, this campaign generated a million dollars. If you're a small business, you're just doing social and you're doing email campaigns, and you're doing ads, you have no idea really where the money's coming from. You just know up month, down month. And so for us, we saw a large enterprise doing this thing called marketing attribution. Let's bring that to small business. So I guess I would call that a gap, but we do it by learning. Um, and, and what you can't do is you can't take a big business tool and just jam it into small business. The simple and affordable part is the really important piece, and I'm, I'm sure you see it. Yeah, I, I agree that looking at what enterprises do and see if there's a, a small business version of it or, or really a simpler version of it, uh, it, there's still a long road ahead on that because simple is hard, especially something that's not, not just easy. Easy is easy, but simple is hard. Um, at the, say the other thing I look for is manual tasks, manual things that people are doing manually that sort of annoy them. They're, they're sort of asking for technology to come into there, um, to that area. Um, it's super hard. I, don't, I, I haven't ever really seen a formula that works. I think what, what, where I would probably focus is on the speed of iteration. How quickly can you try something? So do you take six months to try a new idea, or can you do something to test out the idea in two weeks? Um, and so the more at-bats you get, the better your odds are. And then knowing when you believe you have something, and so um, you talked about driving past the customers. I think I would completely agree. Getting, start with, if you're trying to build a business, how do you get 10 customers, 10 unaffiliated customers, and then how do you get to 20, and then how do you get to 100? And by the time you get to 100, you'll know, you'll know so much more than you did on day one that it's kind of not even kind of worth the discussion. So, um, but look, looking for pain, the, the pain, people will pay to solve pain. There's, there's a great program at Georgia Tech, I'll be real, called Flashpoint. Um, it's a customer discovery program, mostly geared towards technology, which I pretty much live there. So, but you can look at that customer discovery model, which you know, each week we would be encouraged to go talk to at least 100 potential customers. And we did that for, it was about a two-month program before we even built a line of code. So by the time we were done, our, my co-founder and I had talked to you know, hundreds and hundreds of potential e-commerce customers for us. And it really get us, give us an understanding really what the, it, kind of the test this hypothesis. Will this work? Will they pay for this? Will, will they use this feature? And I think if you can... He says they, can, will, they will lie to you. They will lie yeah. to you, right? Well, that, that's the thing that, that Flashpoints teaches you is that to ask the why three times, essentially. Right. And to dig in and like, well, why do you want it? Like, you know, it's one thing to say, well, you, yeah, I'll use that feature. People will, will you be, pay will for be nice, especially in the South. Everyone will be nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that sounds I, great. I would absolutely Good do luck that. with that, right? That's... That's danger, right? Because next thing you know, you yeah. build a kit company and a year later, you're, how come I have no customers? Oh, you want me to pay for it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think that's something that, you know, and if, actually the thing at Flashpoint, I, it used to be, and it may, may still be, open to the public. You can actually go listen. 
Uh, you probably have to ask them if you can, but you can go listen in on some of like each, uh, each week, the 10 or 15 companies going through the program talk about the progress they made. And you can learn a lot just how the, that, that process works. There's lots of books on customer discovery. Was it Steve Blank, I think, is the... the, the yeah, guy, Eric the, Reese has one too. Yeah, yeah, so I highly, if you're looking to start something, start with customer discovery before you start thinking about building the product. Yeah, and regardless of the framework, I think it's, it's staying close to the potential customer. And then if you do get a couple, then the customer. You, you've, got, you've got to nurture the relationships. I think, you know, you talked about unique um, customers, getting unique customers. And, and once you get that relationship, there's a reason why now, even if you go back to Square, right? You know, when, when someone makes a transaction, there's an act, they, they ask you if you want to get emailed your receipt, right? Okay, that's, not, that's, that's, that's an opportunity for you guys to grab data and to follow up with that customer. Every time you got a new customer, you have a surplus of, of, of product in your store or whatever, you can market back out to them, right? And, it, and, and, and that, that is so important. I think we, like you said, we, we gotta get those new customers, but we gotta take care of the ones that we have and nurture those relationships. Like there's a reason why most of you guys that pull up your iPhones right now probably got 20,000 emails because every time you buy something, someone gets your email address and they're constantly marketing to you and you, Pay attention to what you want to pay attention to and the other stuff you, 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 you kind of you ignore. But, but that's telling you, if you look at that, and I'm, I'm real big in reverse engineering, right? And, and when you talked about the big enterprises, uh, the big enterprises are Goliath. You're David. So they can't turn as fast as you can. And they'll start testing stuff and they'll, and they'll start figuring it out. But by that time, some smaller guy has come up out of nowhere. And next thing you know, the Walmarts of the world want to buy that smaller guy because they did something that you know, in, in the span of two years, that Walmart didn't put on their, on, 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 on their, on their radar for those two years, right? And so take advantage of, uh, instead of looking at the big guys as being they have so much more than you have, reverse engineer it and say the big guy's Titanic, and the Titanic hit an iceberg and sank, right? So you have an opportunity to do something that these bigger guys can't, because this technology stuff, it's all fresh. Like, you know, you know, right? You know, stuff that you guys were doing five years ago, you know, was, was, was uh, Shopify, did it even exist five years ago? Nowhere near what it is today, for sure. <laughs> right. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. And, and, and one thing about companies, you know, we have to, in order to engage, there's a lot of white papers, there's a lot of blogs, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of stuff out there that can pique your curiosity enough that you can be dangerous and you can call one of us to help to execute it. But at the same time, it can help you with your daily practices or your businesses. Okay, let's uh, start taking some questions. Uh, I think your hand was up first. Can you give us your name and your business name and then the question? My name is Margaret Fernandez, and uh, um, I'm the owner of the Fernandez Law Firm, and uh, we're a business and technology law firm. I'm going to give you the mic. Okay. Good afternoon. My name is Margaret Fernandez, and I'm the owner of the Fernandez Law Firm, and we're a business and technology law firm. My question is to the C Beyond entrepreneur, um, you were talking about Georgia Tech, and you said uh, get connected with Georgia Tech. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I do want to make sure. CBN was my last one. Springbot is my favorite one now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so your, your question was how do I get connected to Georgia Tech and get involved? Um, the ATDC, so it's the Advanced Technology Development Center. It's down at uh, our office was there. That's where we actually started. It's fifth and spring. You, uh, second floor, I believe. You can literally walk in. And they, uh, I go to the website first, atdc.org, and they'll have open events where you can go and learn about what's going on in the community. Um, Jen Benet is the new executive director there, and is just tremendous. 
Um, the, the space has changed a lot. Georgia Tech's made a big investment. The state's made a big investment. Um, so it's, it's open to the public. I think you can sign up for just $100, I think, a year, and you can become a member in, a, in that range anyway. So fabulous organization to get involved in. My name is Eddie Hawkins, and I'm the founder of the Hawkins Foundation. And our mission is to improve the lives of people and conditions of communities worldwide. And my question is for any of you, um, how do you go about evaluating, uh, understanding, and enhancing the climate and culture of your uh, businesses, especially with having multiple offices in different cities? I always want to talk about culture, but I just spoke, so go ahead. So is it about the company culture within the offices? Gotcha. I think what, what we do is we talk about our values. Uh, it, it has gotten a little bit noisy to talk about culture. Culture can mean different things to different people. It can mean scooters and beanbag chairs uh, or, you know, catered lunch. What we talk about is our values consistently applied creates a culture. And so sales office, if you look at our website, our values are on there, five values that we talk about a lot. And so the, making that clear what our values are creates an environment of emotional safety within a people. And in the, every human has this desire for connectedness. And one of the impediments to that is fear of rejection. And so throughout the interview, we spend a lot of time on the interviewing and recruiting process. And what we try to make clear is who we are. And we're trying to understand who you are. And through that, it creates an opportunity for you can self-select out and you go, wow, those are a bunch of tree-hugging hippie crazies. And you're like, it's not really my people. Or you feel very connected as a, as a person. And then once you feel connected within the organization, we base the team dynamics on a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, who talks about how high-performing, healthy teams work. And it starts with trust. It includes healthy conflict. The lack of conflict is actually a problem. Has buy-in, mutual accountability. Teams can hold each other accountable. Bosses are paid to hold their people accountable, but mutual accountability and eventually a focus on results. So that environment is uh, is. Is, is very important to me. I, I, my, my last company I started before this, I didn't know a lot of those things, and I took a lot of it, and I would say the environment as, as me and my co-founders, as we fought about things, I would take that home, and it made me a worse husband and father, and I wanted to change that. I wanted to figure it out and, and realize that who we are at home affects who we are at work. If you've ever worked with someone going through divorce, you realize that it doesn't stay in one camp or the other. And if who you are at work, you take home. And so we spend time and effort to, to create an environment that is healthy, even to the point of releasing someone to go on to another job. And that's knowing that someone who's constantly coming in and missing the mark and either they don't value the same things or they aren't performing the job, um, giving them a place where they, to go somewhere else where they can get to feel like they're accomplishing something is important. I, I thought one, so I think those are all, all great things. And um, you know, for me, when we first started the business, I sat down and wrote down the four core values of the company that I wanted to start. And they were very personal to me. You know, one of the key ones is we celebrate what makes us unique. And you know, being Canadian, I kind of don't believe in the melting pot and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely believe you should be able to bring your personality, your work personality and your home personality shouldn't differ. Because I think if you leave, some, if you're coming up the elevator and you leave something in the parking garage, we've lost half of your talent or maybe even more of your, of your talent. So I think that's something that's, that's super important to me. And then we do something called uh, Springbot 101, which is after you've been uh, about a couple of months in the company, you know, the, the five or six people will sit down with me and we'll have lunch and we'll just go through what the values mean to me in a real way and then go through our traditions and um, some of the, the kind of the unique history of the, of the business. 
And I think that's the way, that for me, what I think we did really well at Sea Beyond back in 99 through 2012 was instill that culture in everyone that came on board. And I just knew that once, we get to, once you get to like 100 people in a company, it gets really hard. And so to me, you know, at about 30 or 40 people, I said, okay, I'm really doubling down and investing here my own personal time in it. And that's, I would say that that is a key piece that, that is important that we do as well as sharing with Brooks, sharing kind of where these came from and what's the story that travel knowledge is really valuable. We do that in the early stage as well, because the, the question I found that people were asking was, do you actually believe this? Is this actually important? Was it marketing creating like the eagle flying and you know, yeah, exactly. inspiration? And so when Brooks shares his background or Kyle, my co-founder, shares his story, if we, as we share a part of ourselves, they go, oh, they actually do believe it, which means that if there's a dysfunction in the organization, then they can make the connection to they probably want to know about it and they probably want to fix it. If they don't believe we believe it, then it's a bunch of marketing speak and they'll, they'll, they'll treat it just like any other job and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm out. So my, my name is Rachel Scales. I work for Engage CX, which is an early stage software company. My question for you guys is, if you go back a little earlier in the um, evolution of your companies, how did you go after people and get them to join you, um, particularly when your own network is tapped out? I lived at Starbucks at 5th and Spring yeah. Street right. and would just scream, who wants to work for a startup? That's how I found an intern that way, literally. There, there's a, I saw a bunch of students in line, and I just kind of, you know, we're looking for a marketing intern. Uh, and what, it was a friend of a friend. No joke, that's actually what happened. So, yeah. uh, Obviously, I'm not as, as, as far along as these two gentlemen, uh, and I'll be honest with that. I work with a lot of contractors, with a lot of projects. But what I find about the young talent, this millennial talent, they love the, those type of relationships where they can start, whether it be on a contracted basis, uh, proper project basis. Um, your network, we can tap out of our networks pretty quickly um, because a lot of times, you know, they're doing other things or whatever. So I would really encourage, there, there are a ton of, 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 uh, of, of online communities, whether it be.